So this is a picture of my mom, and when I grow, I, I've talked in here about my financial situation coming out of college and how I made $338 every two weeks for the first six years, and so you can kind of imagine the housing situation I lived in. Uh, we, we lived in what we called the guy's house, and I was in a campus ministry, so we would have a bunch of guys sharing a house, and we shared it with a chocolate Labrador retriever about this big that was a shed factory, and back in those days, can you turn the mic down just a tad, bud? Back in those days, we, we thought we were living high on the hog if we would buy stick tile at Big Lots that was like 10 cents a square foot, and we would do our kitchen in it. And the, the nasty thing you find out about stick tile is the adhesive that it's used kind of edges out on the edge, and when you have a dog that sheds, every little crack all the way around the whole house <laughs> had, had chocolate lab dog hair in it. And we, would, we, we had uh, cats that would mate under our house at night, real, real loud. <laughs> loud, and we had, we had a raccoon that we called Methuselah, and uh, Methuselah would, would raid our garbage cans, and we would, we would drag really nasty furniture out into the backyard and start campfires and watch movies on, and we didn't have a LED and LCD TV screens back then. This was one of the big TVs that we'd haul out there and put on a table, and we'd sit around a campfire and watch movies, and we'd run an extension cord all the way from the house, and uh, the, the furniture, we had, a, we had a, a guy that we kind of fostered for a while that had, had some serious issues, and he used to he used to cut our furniture with a knife and then deny doing it. No, I didn't cut your furniture. Like, I saw you cut the furniture, man. I didn't cut the furniture. But that's the kind of stuff we lived with. And uh, my mom and I would, would do things like go to furniture auctions. And we would just dream because she didn't have money and I didn't have money. But it was fun to, when there was like a going out of business sale or something like that, we'd go together and just, you know, imagine. That's, what, that's the best we could do was imagine. And I remember one particular auction we went to, there was a, Furniture set, this is my mom, furniture set similar, similar to that one. I mean, it was beautiful Italian leather, and, and this place was going out of business, so it was like 70% off was the starting auction price, and it reclined, and, and I, just, I just remember walking around it and touching it and saying, man, this is beautiful, isn't it? And one day, like one day I will have furniture like this was kind of my mentality. And, and when the auction came and these particular items came up, they, they started auctioning at like $1,500, and they went to twenty. $2,200 and $2,600 and $2,800. My mom raised her hand and yelled, $2,800. And going once, going twice, sold. And I was, like, stunned in this moment because I knew she didn't have money. Like, she did not have money. She was in the very much anti or negative money category. And I knew that the only way she could possibly afford this furniture was to put it on a credit card. And I also knew that what she did for me, she did for my brother. So this was a $5,600 tab she had just accrued on her credit card. I said, Mom, you can't, you can't do this. this is, I mean, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, this furniture does not belong in my house, right? They're, like, this isn't, this isn't the right fit. But I'm also thinking, you can't afford this. Why would you do this? And I was, I was, it was this weird combination of being legitimately upset with her because I knew what a problem she had just created and, and then being just, like, intensely warmed with her, her love for me and how much she was willing to sacrifice for me. And I said, I, uh, I went to the auctioneers afterwards and said, my mom can't afford this. This was a tremendous mistake. Is there any way you can put it back on the auction line? And they begrudgingly did so. And, uh, you know, mom, mom wasn't good with money. I, I, think, I think from the grave she would call out, I was not good with money. Uh, it's not the story of good financial fiscal responsibility, but it is the story of a mother's love for her child that she was willing to, to sacrifice and lay down. And that's that's how my mom was. She, I grew up, my dad died when I was nine years old, and, and she did everything she could to make sure that we, we were prov not only provided for, but we, th 
we were thriving. She would take us to camps and piano lessons and little league baseball. And I mean, she just went way out of her way as a single mom raising two kids and worked so many hours and owned her own business and worked so many more hours. And mom was good. And we, we, all, we all recognize that this tattoo is a pretty good tattoo, right? Like when we see the, like I don't care what country you're from. I don't, I don't care what background you have. Everybody can kind of admire the, the sentiment behind this tattoo. It doesn't mean everybody had that kind of relationship with their mom or, or had, had the opportunity even to be in a relationship with their mom, but we all recognize the value of moms. If you go online, there's, this is I Love You Mom in different languages. They do 25 different languages of, of ladies and, and gentlemen sharing Je t'aime Mama in French, the, and, and it goes through. And no, I've, I've traveled all over the world, and the one common thing that you see, no matter where you go, the heart of Cambodia to Peru to Boston, you see moms taking care of kids. It's just, it's just everywhere. And not, not just tolerating them, not, not just even providing for them, but, but legit caring for them, like, like making the child their passion. And, it, and it's, it's in every language. A couple of years ago, I did a Mother's Day sermon, and uh, I asked Ernesto... To Flores to uh, to hold a an eight pound watermelon through the whole sermon. Remember that, buddy? And Joe, Joey Medcraft was in the room, and I handed him a, a watermelon, and and I I felt I felt really weird about that, but I just said, "Here, hold this. Please hold it for the duration of the service." And like we look at that and say, "Well, that's weird and odd and uncomfortable and kind of wrong to ask," and that's like that's just a tiny tiny thing of 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 what moms have to do is all of a sudden you're handed this bowling ball and said, "Here." Hold this for 18 years. Hold it. And child rearing and child raising is, is absolutely no joke. Uh, some of the points I made in that sermon that I'm going to cover real briefly were that all the insides, uh, there, there's, some way, there's some way you got to pass this bowling ball first. It's actually inserted in your belly, and you got to get it out of your belly, which is not a pleasant thing at all. I saw this quote this week. It says, there's always a mom that went through a lot. There's no exceptions. So, so even if you didn't have a mom, even if you were eventually adopted, even if you never knew your mom, there's a mom who endured a lot so that you can breathe fresh air and, and eat good food. And, and uh, it's, it's a pretty exceptional thing. I, I've noticed this, this strangeness that if, if I don't... It, there, there was one year that I said, hey, Mother's Day is every, every day. And I kind of glossed over Mother's Day, and boy, I got feedback from people. <laughs> like, you don't, you don't do that to Mother's Day as a pastor, right? But I've noticed that you can do that with Father's Day, and everybody's like, yeah, it's all good. And there, there, there's a problem there, for sure, but there's also a little bit of truth there that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of men out there that have children that they just enjoyed the moment, and it was done, and that's all they had to do with the child. But there's, there's no exceptions in this case. There's no exceptions that if you, if you live and breathe, mom sacrificed for you. And so moms are legitimately worthy of our praise and our thanks, and during this process, there's vomiting and a loss of favorite foods and weight gain and lots and lots of stretching and mood swings and lethargy. And I know my wife and I, we used to have this favorite chip dip that we used to eat. And uh, it is no longer on the table because when she was pregnant, it just made her throw up and just the smell or thought of it now. So it just like ruined one of her favorite foods being pregnant. And there's always, there's always sacrifices that ladies have made to have babies. And then I talked about how the inside of these watermelons are going to come out meaning you're going to have to clean up after this thing for a long time. We're finally out of diapers. After four kids, after about 12 years, we're finally out of diapers in our household. And, uh, actually, we're mostly out of diapers. I still use a diaper occasionally. But, 
we're, we're completely out of diapers, but there's so many choices when it comes to even diapers, the cloth diapers versus, versus plastic di diapers that ruin the environment, but the cloth diapers are a huge major expense, and then you have to spray them off every single time you use them, so you have to have attachments to your toilet. And I mean, it's just it, it, having a baby uproots everything, everything, and then you have to make educational decisions and financial decisions, and you have to, and, and, and physical health decisions, and who, who your doctor is going to be, and then they're screaming and whining and begging and growling. My 12-year-old son now growls at me. I say, don't, don't do that. But I'll say, hey, I need you to take out the trash. And he'll go, Rrr. he does it all the time. And while I was preparing this sermon, literally as I was typing, screaming, whining, begging, one of my children was running through the house going, mom, 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 mom. And I know you think this is annoying right now, but this is life. And finally she yells from upstairs, what? Can I have a bar? And that's life. If you have kids, you recognize that's, that's life. And in some ways, it's shackling in that you just can't come and go as you used to. You can't just jump in the car and go. Moms make tremendous sacrifices. And then there's this overwhelming love and concern. I think I have a, a buddy who, after high school, became quite wealthy and bought a Ferrari. And having a Ferrari is a whole different thing than having a Honda Civic or, like in my case, a Honda Ridgeline in that now you've got this beautiful thing that you feel like you've got to park it just right so nobody scratches it, right? You've got to be, I mean, like it, it changes your perspective on where you park and how you, how you put it in the garage and, and how, you, how you keep it detailed and waxed. And, and it, it's not the same, obviously, but once, once you have a child, like there's this new thing in your life that you, you feel this overarching desire and, and desperate need to protect and safeguard. And it, it, cha it changes your liberty and your freedom to just come and go because now... Now, it, I, I, I'm not trying to paint an ugly picture here. I'm, tr I'm trying to paint a sacrificial picture here. It, it changes everything. And I, I wrote during that sermon, which was on a big screen back then, so I just stole the slides because it was easier. But eventually this watermelon will need braces and glasses and allergy shots and medical expenses. And you'll need to pay for soccer camp and band camp and church camp and basketball camp. And you'll pay for school pictures and dance lessons and outings with friends and auto expenses for all the driving you'll be doing. And it requires food and shelter and heat and Wi-Fi and dentist appointments and vaccines, and you get the picture. And then eventually they, they need a shoulder to cry on, and then sometimes they need a shoulder not to cry on, and they need boundaries and discipline, and they need all freedom and self-reliance. And finding those balances are just almost impossible, and it just stretches you to your absolute psychic max to try to figure out how do you do this thing and do it well. Really, really hard. And so when I think of the way of the cross that Jesus described, he says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, I think... Moms pretty much encapsulate this concept of the cross. It's laying down your life for another. My, I, have, I have five sisters, and uh, they're half-sisters, and their mom would always say the phrase, I'll dance at your wedding. And I'll dance at your wedding means we're close. I support you. I love you. I'll be there in life's greatest moments. And I know you can't see this. I called one my, or texted one of my sisters this week and said, send me a picture of your tattoo. And they all got, they got, all got I, I will dance at your wedding in her handwriting tattooed around their wrists. And there's, there's just something, like, like I hear that story, like I want that tattoo. She's not even my biological mom, and I want, to, I want that tattoo because there's just something about of celebrating mom and, and loving mom. And anybody seen the movie Raising Arizona with Nicolas Cage? So there's, there's forums online where you can find what they, what they call the greatest entrances of any character. And this character, Leonard Smalls, the lone biker of the apocalypse, makes an appearance in in this movie, Raising Arizona. And in, in, in it, he comes through this wall of fire on his, on his motorcycle, on his Harley-Davidson, with two shotguns in sheaths on his back. And, and uh, 
flames follow him wherever he goes, and he smokes a big cigar, and at one point there's a fuzzy little bunny on the side of the road, and he pulls a grenade and throws it and blows up the bunny. And this, he's the, the lone biker of the apocalypse, and you probably can't see his tattoo there, but it's the anti-tattoo. It says, Mama didn't love me. Now, blowing up bunnies is one thing, but when we see Mama didn't love me, like, like we think, ooh, this dude's probably got issues, right? That, that's, that's, the whole, that's the whole concept of the illustration of the tattoo is they're wanting to make him like the vilest, evilest person ever. Mama didn't love me. We see this disconnect when, when, when the mom relationship or, or the admiration of mom or the love of mom is absent. We recognize that as, you know, like alarm bells go off. We, we, we see flashing red and say, alert, alert, something's, something's off. And we always want to recognize on Mother's Day Sunday that, that Mother's Day is not a great celebration for everyone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip to a quote here. I found, I found a quote. I heard somebody say that there's a lot of people who purposefully do not come to church on Sundays, on Mother's Day Sunday, because of the pain that, that the day means to them. And this person said, I would hide under my covers just a few minutes longer, forcing myself to get out of bed and ready for church. I would hope that the sermon wouldn't be entirely built on motherhood. I would take an unnecessary bathroom break just when the pastor would ask all the mothers in the room to stand so everyone could applaud, and I'd duck out early to avoid the chocolates or flowers that were being passed out. She said, I will go home and cry and hope that this would be the last year I ever felt so low on Mother's Day. And so we say Happy Mother's Day, and, and we mean Happy Mother's Day because the mom tattoo is a big deal, but we also recognize the Mama Didn't Love Me tattoo, kind of the, the, the anti-Mother's Day vibe and, and feeling is very real, and we want you to know that it's seen here, that, that we understand, and it's, it's not easy. I saw this quote on a Reddit forum about moms this week, because they, they, and I know you probably can't read it out there, but it's pretty sad for those that can read it, right? It's, it, it's a forum, and they were talking about how Mother's Day is traditionally the lowest crime day of the year in America. And somebody postulated that nobody wants to make their mom disappointed, their mom disappointed. So I'm assuming this is a European country, so it also holds there. And then one person said, my existence is more than enough to disappoint my mom. And that's the response, is you kind of go, ooh, right? We, we, we know that, that this, this is not good. And, and so we want to, on a day when we celebrate moms, we also want to recognize the, the inverse of that, that, that people are hurting. And you might be here today and have an inability to have children, and I... I know from, from our experience, we, we have four kids now, but we had two miscarriages and a six-year gap where we were unable to become pregnant uh, during that time. And I know what it's like for my wife to lay in bed and cry and, and just feel, feel like, just feel awful, miserable, trying and trying and trying and seeing doctors and not, not able to have kids. We recognize that difficulty and, and how hard it is. Or you may, you may be a single mom and you may feel alone or or, or, or most moms at some point, I know, I know my wife does, and, and as a father I feel this, is you feel in, inadequate. Like I'm, I'm terrified of ruining my kids as opposed to raising them to be stellar individuals, and you, you might feel that on Mother's Day. Adoptive or foster moms, if you, if you were adopted and, and mom wasn't around, you may question why mom's not around. If you're a foster, foster parent, you may love kids, and then those kids are gone, and there's, there's all kinds of difficulties that adoptive and foster parents face. You may have concerns about the child's path in life. There may be, there may be kids that, that you think, ah, they're not going the direction I'd like them to go. And, and then that, of course, is coupled with this concern of a feeling like you failed. And, and, and there, there are people who are, their kids are grown and gone, and maybe you feel like you did a poor job, and you can't, you can't get that back. You can't, you can't re-grasp that. You may have a lost or estranged child. 
which is about as painful as life can become, or a lost or estranged mom. These are, these are things that hurt. You may have had bad experiences on both sides of the equation. You know, your relationship with your mom might not have been good. So when people celebrate and say, Happy Mother's Day, we've got strawberries back there, you're thinking, ah, my mom doesn't deserve strawberries. Or, or vice versa. You, you see where I'm getting at? Or what I'm getting at here is that, that there, there's this proverb that says, A cheerful greeting in the morning will be taken as a curse. And I, I think some of you can relate to that. If it's 6.30 in the morning... Your spouse or your, your partner or your friend or your, your child breaks into your room and goes, Hey, good morning! That's not, it doesn't feel too good, right? It's taken as a curse. You're like, shut up and leave me alone. And in some sense, I, I always feel that on Mother's Day, is that when we say Happy Mother's Day, go moms, that there's also this, this portion of the audience and portion of our listeners online, they're going to say, I kind of could have done without that today. And we just, as a pastor, you want to fix it. You want, to, you want to justify God. You want to say, well, here's, here's why you lost a child. and here, it's, it's unexplainable, but you, you want to fix things. You want to offer answers. Or you, you want to say, well, maybe here's some things you can do to, to, do, to feel better or be better. And, and I, there's, there's just no way to do that adequately. Uh, but we, also, we always at Daylight Church on Mother's Day want to know that you're seen and you're heard and you're felt, and we get it and we're sorry. And, and for a lot of us, it's a hybrid feeling. Like I... I had a great mom 80% of the time. 20% of the time we had serious issues. Some of my most embarrassing moments are fights I had with my mom. And my mom has passed away, so so it's a sad day for me. So it's this this mixed vibe thing of where I'm celebrating her and thinking about her, trying to emulate her as a parent, but also also just wishing she was around and feeling sad. And so it's, it's a mixed day. I was, uh, watching the movie Saving Private Ryan a couple weeks ago, and there's a scene, yeah, Paul says, man, it's, it's an intense movie, and, and there's a scene where this guy's been gunned down, and he's, he's passing away, and he's going, Mama, 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 Mama. And I've, I've always heard that, that soldiers who are dying often call out for their moms, but I've also kind of wondered if that's just a thing that they do in movies that's not real. And so I, I started researching it and reading it and getting on Reddit forums and, and uh, looking up websites. And, and I found an entire forum dedicated to people telling stories about this. And I, I want to read some of it to you because I think there, it has a, has a poignancy for today. There's a guy who talks about he was, his father was in the Royal Navy. And uh, he was on ships that were sunk seven, seven times. And seven times he survived. But he says that he managed to escape every time. But he said the ones that didn't always called for their mothers in the end. Healthcare workers talked about how in nursing homes, even, and some of you may have experienced this if you've worked in nursing homes, even, even people with sound minds and, and no dementia often call out for their moms. A guy who was wounded in Vietnam said he looked up at the stars and said, I'm sorry, mom, and, and, and to this day doesn't know why he said that. That was just his response under the extreme duress to call out to mom and say, I'm sorry. One woman who had cellulitis talked about when her pain was so intense that she could barely stand and barely move, that even the slightest breeze caused her agonizing pain. She often would call out for her mom. One Marine said, after 26 years, the following is fact in my limited experience. When dying, three individuals are inevitably called for if possible, God, mom, and doc. Another man fighting in, in Bosnia says, under a hail of bullets, the word mother escaped my mouth. Just like that. It wasn't an explanation or a cry for help. It was just calmly uttered the word mother. 
this moment for the flash of a second, I thought, where did that come from? And he went on to say there was some primordial, deeply buried security thing that he, he, he wanted in that moment, and mom was who he turned to. Another individual said that he, wa- he watched his 70-year-old stepfather and one, his 50-year-old cousin pass away, and both of them called for their moms before their passing. And the odd thing is, neither of them had seen or spoken of their moms for decades, and still in the middle of passing. And, and it's just fascinating reading. That they talk about how cockpit voice recorders are often recorded with people, pilots and passengers yelling, yelling for mom. And one person said, the first time a child is born, his mother is the first person he sees. There's an instant bond that takes place between the mother and the child when he drinks her milk, and this connection is everlasting. And this is important, and it'll tie into where I want to go from here, is that being in the womb for nine months, even unknowingly, the child knows that his mother is the protector. So whenever the child is in pain or in times of trouble, the first person that comes to his mind is his mother. He knows that she will know exactly what to say or to do to make him feel protected and safe. When the child ages to become an adult, the same love and understanding persists. And when a soldier is dying, he knows that the person who loves him and cares for him the most is his mom, thus remembering her in his final times. And there's so much more. I, I, I printed out quite a bit more. I wasn't sure how, how far it would feel, like how, how far I could read and it maintain interest or, or, or matter. But it's fascinating reading. You can get online and read what people say about, about moms and passing away, and it's, it's, it's worth reading. But the last one I want to read to you is a person who says, there's an expression I read once, that wars are fought against mothers. And he went on to talk about what that means. He says, soldiers in the World Wars who fought close enough to hear the other side, hand-to-hand combat or in the trenches, remarked that they were surprised that enemy soldiers, when they were dying, called for their mothers, just like our soldiers. Why did they call for their mothers? We all come into life alone, and the first love we felt was our mothers. When we die in war, we are alone, scared, feeling the fear, the loss, and the anxiety of death, of leaving all that we know, of not being able to say goodbye to the ones we love. We reach for the first love, the unconditional love that might soothe our conscience, our soul. We cry out to her, the first to hold us, soothe us, love us, the first to tell us everything is going to be okay. We reach for her last. And that really stood out to me, the the first to tell us that everything is going to be okay. And I immediately tied that into the message of the gospel and and kind of the, the entirety of what scripture declares concerning God is, it's kind of the gospel message everything is going to be okay. Whether you're a soldier dying in the battlefield, whether you have cellulitis and extreme pain from a gust of wind, whatever, whatever the situation is, on, on a day when you feel the loss of a, you lost a child and you can barely bear to get out of bed, or a day when you realize that your mom is no longer around, the entirety of the gospel message is God saying it's going to be okay. If mom is sick and you're worried about her, Jesus says, it's going to be okay. If you're worried that you failed your child, Jesus says, we can make this okay. The gospel message is one of God declaring that it's okay. We find throughout scripture this principle discussed is that blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death nor sorrow. This is in the new, new heavens and the new earth nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. It also says that God sets the lonely in families, and he leads out the prisoners with singing. Wherever you're at today, whatever, whatever situation you find yourself in, or however, however you relate to, 
to Mother's Day, there's, there's, there's something God wants to do that's family building in you. And I, I, know, as, I know as a child who was raised by a single mom, when, when men would come along and take me to the father-son banquet at our church, there was something special about that. And what it, what it means is wherever you're at on the mom spectrum today, of whether you're hurting or celebrating or some hybrid mix like me in between, God still wants to do a family thing in you. He still wants to connect you with family and connect you with other believers and connect you with friends, connect you with people. And then it talks about that, that one particular person talked about the, the womb and, and another person talked about the fetal position, how, how soldiers, when they're wounded and, and passing away, oftentimes will curl into the fetal position. They'll return to the womb. And Scripture tells us that before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. The Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you, is how he's described. And so, whatever you're feeling today, whether you're, you know, I have, I have a friend who worries about his mom who's sick all the time. And I, I just want to say to that friend, turn, turn to God. He placed you in the womb. He placed you in a secure place. He, he gave breath to your lungs in that particular place. And that's what you can return to, this is the safety of this God who places people in the womb, who wipes every tear from their eye, who blesses those who are mourning, who comforts those who are hurting. Turn towards God in these moments.